Welcome to Your Music Saved Us, where two friends blast ourselves into the past to relive and recontextualize the alternative Christian music we grew up listening to in the 1990s. My name is Jay, and with me is someone who tripped on the great movie ride, Clifton. Clifton, how are you today? Um, good. We're going to do some real recontextualizing today, by the way, so... <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Uh, Clifton, what are we listening to this week? Well, Jay, we got a real, like, recommended if you like kind of thing going on on this for this episode. So according to their record label, you might like this band if you like Sunny Day Real Estate, or Poor Old Lou, Jeremy Enoch, Live, Foo Fighters, Plank Eye, Paired to the Lion, Shudder to Think, Jeff Buckley, Pearl Jam, or Roadside Monument. And I don't know that I get the Jeff Buckley thing, except for maybe, like, Marty was like, also Jeff Buckley, guys, and they were like, yeah, fine, Jeff Buckley, well, who is that? Yeah, no, I don't know. But, uh... <laughs> At the time, I was a fan of Poor Old Lou and Plank Guy and Page of the Line and Roadside Monument. So basically, all the bands on that list that I'd heard of, I was a fan of. So you know what? I think it. I think it works pretty well. The what? What were we talking about? <laughs> what are we listening to this week? Oh right, right. Dear Ephesus debut. Dear Ephesus's debut album, The Constellation of, of Pianissimo. Nice. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, it, it's it's not an easy one to to pronounce. <laughs> where were you able to listen to this how hard to find was this so it's it's surprisingly easy to find it's on all the streaming platforms it's on Bandcamp. it seems that around 2012 the band really took an effort to get everything out there although it's kind of weird on spotify in that there are two versions of this album on spotify one of them has a trademark to bulletproof records but that is not the one that the band put up the other one that the band put up has all their albums. So if you see Dear Ephesus with an icon for this album cover, that's the wrong one. And if you see Dear Ephesus with an icon for the Absent Sounds of Me cover, that's the right one. All right, I got another question. Are we getting <laughs> preached at in this album? You know, it's, 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 it's hard to say. Aaron, who's, who's the lyricist and the vocalist for the band, said... Everything I write is allegorical and metaphorical. So I think that our challenge this episode is to read everything into these lyrics that we can imagine. Just just go crazy with them. All right, I like it. And you kind of yeah. started with this, but tell us a little bit more about the band. <laughs> All right. Um, so being broken up before the end of 1999, there's quite a lot of mentions of Dear Ephesus on the web. But there's very little information about them. So the only uh, the only hint that we have the only hint that we have to how the band began is an interview on Phantom Tollbooth with once again with with Aaron in 1998. And from what I can gather, it seems that Aaron uh, pursued acting after graduating from high school, both professionally and with further education. And I'll quote here: He quickly moved from commercial work into missions. With a friend, he began writing and playing acoustic music. And then, quote, 
This is quoting him inside the quote. God brought me to the love and the joy. And we started and he and started teaching me this lesson about putting aside all this pretentiousness and this quest to make it to the top that so envelops people from the world. End quote. Other other friends joined and Jerephesus was born. And once again quoting him, I'm not interested in building up fans, I'm not interested in building up some kind of scene. I just want to share what God has given. So I don't know exactly when the band began, but they they were and always have been. Aaron Wiederspawn on vocals, Brett Levson on guitar, Ed Lamosa on guitar, Louis DeFabrizio on bass, these are impossible to pronounce names, and Jeff Irizari on drums. Sorry guys, I tried. I think it's Louis DeFabrizio. DeFabrizio? I think I listened to another podcast, but it's okay. Okay. You know. All right. Um, they're from uh, Orlando, Florida originally. And from what I understand, a lot of the guys are still there. In late 1996, Aaron, quote unquote, stalked pro-Lou bassist Nick Barber and somehow convinced him to produce their first EP, A View of Epic Proportions, which was released independently. Um, they recorded that album in November of 1996. And they actually talk about that. They have a really good band camp page where uh, for each album, they kind of talk about it a little bit, and they go into some really interesting details here. This is from their Bandcamp page on that record. They said, Recording the EP was an education in taste, in songwriting, in arranging, in patience. It made us uncomfortable and downright mad at times. Nick's hand was steady at the helm. He was never rattled, stayed always on point, and replied to every tantrum with, let's run through that again. So, A View of Epic Proportions was released in January of 1997. And probably sometime after recording the EP, John Ralston uh, joined the band for a short period. And if you recognize that name, he is the primary creative force behind Recess Theory and Legends of Rodeo. On their Facebook page, they actually said of John, This surfer kid joined Dear Ephesus for about three months and changed the band for the rest of its short life. We were fans of his bands, Recess Theory, Legend of Rodeo, and previous ones with rotating names. His influence never left. Super rad dude. At some point in 1997, and somehow they signed to Bulletproof Records, part of Grey Dot out of Atlanta, Georgia. Around this time, they went on tour with the Insiders, of who they said, arguably the most important band in the history of Dear Ephesus is a ska band. When we needed someone to have our backs, they were the best case scenario. Probably sometime in the summer of 1997, they went back to the studio to record the album we'll be talking about today, The Constellation of Pianissimo. They recorded this album with J.C. Richardson of Sunday's Child at the helm, both producing and engineering. He also produced uh, John and Respect's first album, which was kind of around the same time. I want to read the entirety of what they wrote about this album on their Bandcamp page, because I think it really gives us some good insights into what we're going to be talking about today. They said, We came into the studio expecting to be challenged and have our ideas crushed into gold dust like Nick Nick did recording a view. That shoe never dropped. J.C was much more laid back, for better or worse. We kind of did what we wanted. Instrumentally, we were still an immature band writing semi-complex arrangements with a Neanderthal approach. Guitars plus pedals plus amps equals loud. I believe our rigs included an old high watt. We didn't use words like vintage back then. A Charvel with EMGs, a Boss or DoD distortion pedal, a Fender Strat parts caster with lace sensors, a Softec MiG-60 may have had a bad tube, (laughs) and a Big Muff. Both guitars appeared to fight for the same frequencies, the thick spectrum, if you will, which muddied up, which muddied up the sound. 
In writing, however, we looked for melodies and harmonies to complement the main riff and leave space for each other. This may have been our, only our second trip out of Florida, and we had not yet dealt with wounded eagles at this scale. We had not mastered the I don't like this part conversations, and these made the most difficult aspect of, of the recording process. But we have plenty of practice, and we went and, and we would get better at it. Our collaborations with uh, John Ralston, the fruits of his short time in the band, marked another turning point in our musical direction. Otherwise, the sound, the experience, the motions, everything was raw. Uh, in the recordings for this album, Ralston actually gets writing credits on Portrait, uh, Butter Never Bleeds, A Step for Dance, The Holidays, all of which we're going to talk about today. Uh, so some or all of that tour with the Insiders may have happened after the recording of this album. I'm not exactly sure on timelines here. They also had another tour with Squad 5 and Johnny Respect in support of this album, which released in November of 1997. And there's also a bootleg video of the band on YouTube, which we'll link to in the comments, uh, that seems to be filmed toward the end of the tour with the Insiders and during this tour with Squad 5 and Johnny Respect in support of this album. There isn't a lot of information in it, but it's... It's out there and has the guys playing and joking around. There, there's a few moments when they talk about some stuff that we'll, that we'll probably discuss today, though. And that brings us to this album. Just a side note, I, I, I'm struck by their tour mates and how, like, kind of incongruent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the insiders. It, yeah. It's just interesting how some of those tours back then used to kind of stick these bands together i mean johnny respect and squad 50 is not doesn't really fit with them either probably better than the insiders but it yeah it's just it's interesting <laughs> johnny respect and squad 50 don't fit with them except that they're bit label mates on bulletproof insiders is kind of a weird one i don't know where that came from these guys aren't out there touring with branston or papa known or anything like that although we will talk about that later I, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll put a pin in that because I want to follow up with that. But um, <laughs> let's go back to personal for you. You know, when did this come into your life? Yeah, so I remember the album coming out, you know, I, th I think it came out in, in uh, what did I say, 1997, November. So towards the end of 1997. I remember seeing it on the shelves, but I also remember it took me a few months to really listen to it. So it was, I was into 1998 by the time I really listened to it. Um, as you know, I was kind of into like, punk and leaning really a little kind of towards Cosmos Express at this time. So I don't think my brain was quite in the space for emo as a 16 or 17 year old. Um, you know, maybe I just wasn't dissatisfied enough until my senior year in high school, which is really when I found this album. I don't know, maybe this is unique to me, but I remember knowing that some of my friends really liked this album, but we never talked about it. It was just kind of a personal thing that I listened to and I enjoyed. I remember sitting in my car listening to it, waiting for songs to end, because this isn't just like the kind of music that you just come and go from casually. You end a song and then move on, I guess. <laughs> Did it play any other role in your life? You know, one thing I find weird about this is that I, I remember it being really important to me at the time, especially musically, you know, just, just being a, a huge departure from what I was listening to before. Um, I'm, you probably wouldn't think it's that huge because, you know, from punk, but it, to me, it felt like a huge departure, you know, going into the emo, emo thing a bit. But then once I really found emo, you know, I never returned to this album. Like once, you know, I listened to it my senior year in high school and then, you know, my freshman year in college, when I really found emo, I didn't really listen to this anymore. You know, I, it probably prepared me for, you know, Getting into, into bands like Recess Theory, Branson, Pop Unknown, Mineral, San Gabriel Estate, Braid, 
Jimmy Eat World, Red Animal War, that kind of stuff. You remember Red Animal War? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had that like one good album, and then they went weird places. They had a song about baseball later on. If you write a song about baseball, you've just, you've jumped the shark in my book. I don't know. That's weird. Anyways, back to this album. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think it, I think it opened me up to a lot of that, but I find it crazy that when I got into all that, I didn't return to this for some reason. And I, th- I think that's, you know, probably I would say like my, my life was less rich for it. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to relate to that a little bit. I, I don't exactly remember when I got into this, although I do remember talking about this album with a friend in Spanish class, strangely, that was into similar music, but he somehow called it dear Epiphus. Um, and that just always <laughs> stood out in my mind. But I, I want to relate on one point, as I think you're right, it's one of those albums that I, for some reason, didn't return to later. And I don't remember if I, when I had this album, if I had heard like Minerals Power of Failing or not, it was probably mm-hmm. near the same time. And so my ears were really, and I loved that. So my ears were really peaked mm-hmm. for like the word emo. And I, yeah, I, I, I'm relating to what you say, though, because for some reason, I just never really came back to this once I kind of got more into that genre. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And, yeah. and that that does raise one other question I want to I want to ask, and we can think about it as we go. But I guess the question is, and this is, I mean, you could ask this about any album, but is this emo, really? I mean, <laughs> I, I think we'll we'll get into it more as we go. But also, any songs that you remembered? I had a few that I was like, oh yeah, that I remembered from this. Any that stood out to you that you kind of remembered before you went back? Yeah, there's. I mean, this this album has really memorable songs on it, I'll say that. So, you know, Portrait, um, The Holidays, Player Piano, uh, The Flight of Peter Pan, those those definitely stood out in my mind. Yeah, yeah, me too. Also, Butter Never Bleeds. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Butter Never Bleeds musically stood out in my mind, but not like the title. Right. For some reason, yeah. So, you, you know, you were into this album at the same time. Did, do you have any other memories of it? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wish I had a better answer, but... Honestly, no, and I don't know why, but I don't. Yeah, and so to 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 we'll probably discuss this as we go through. But you know, your 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 question of is this emo? I think you know, who, to some extent, who cares, right? You know, right. But I would say that if if Sunday Day Real Estate is emo, which could be argued, then yes, yeah, I think you know emo has a. And let's be clear here. Emo has a definition. Emo isn't just anything emotional. So all you people who are like, oh, emo is anything. F*** you guys. Um, But uh, (laughs) emo is a very specific thing that is. That came out of the D.C., you know, hardcore punk scene where they took that hardcore punk sound and started injecting a little more pop into it and injecting more of this emotional feeling. So it's not just hardcore it 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 has its slower moments into more introspective moments and it's it's more i'm gonna say emotional but we're we're specifically talking about the sadder side of emotional here yeah (laughs) and so it has a very important definition there but then i will say that when sunday day real estate came along they took i think they took all of those aesthetics and created something that if it's not that emo it is equally deserving of the name emo it's just a different phase of emo yeah fair fair you know and so you know i think you know sunday came along they injected more indie rock a little bit of grunge into emo 
and they cre- they created their own sound and then they had you know the whole thing that happened in the in the mid to later 90s is largely inspired by Sunday real estate right yeah also I, fugazi <laughs> i well yeah of course but, I think when I, I do remember listening to this and wondering that though, again, I think maybe I had gotten that mineral album at the time and was like pretty obsessed with it and mm-hmm. was trying to, and it's not, it's not really the same as this, but going back into it and listening to it now, I almost was like, yeah, this is emo compared to back then. I think I was like, mm, I don't know, but it's got so many of the just kind of classic mm-hmm. things, you know? the loud, soft dynamics, the real mm-hmm. twinkly guitars, like mm-hmm. so many things. I would say the vocals are probably the thing that sets it apart. Yes. It's, it's kind of a different style, but anyway, we'll get into all that. Um, yeah. I'm going to get us off. We're going to get on wrap. I think through. you could say that kind of like mineral and dear Ephesus are both really dependent on Sunday Day real estate, but in different ways, they kind yeah. of take different parts of it away. They have a lot of overlap, but I think, Dear Ephesus takes more of the hardcore side of it, and Mineral takes more of the the indie and softer, more delicate side of it. I, I would agree with that. That's my interpretation. Any any reactions or thoughts, you know, before listening to this again? Actually, I should ask: Have you revisited this any before? Yeah. You did this? Oh, okay. Yeah, because it, it's good. You know. <laughs> You know, uh, probably not as much as a lot as some things, um, but more than, well, more than most of the albums we've talked about, but probably not more than, you know, the Julies or, or, or Rainy Days or something like that. Right. But yeah, I've listened to it several times over the years because it's just a good album. So I, I knew we were going into, you know, something that's, that, that stands up to the test of time. That's, you know, great music professionally recorded by people who really seem to understand what they were, what they were doing in a recording studio. So, yeah. I will confess. I had not listened to it really, and I honestly thought it wouldn't be that great. Really? <laughs> so I will say I was surprised. I don't know why in my mind I was just like, yeah, I listened to that once. It was all right in the past. And <laughs> yeah, but it, this, this was pretty enjoyable, you know, episode to do. So I, yeah. I enjoyed doing all the research and the homework on it. So. Cool. Good. Yeah. Well, um, let's jump in. Well, before we jump in, I want to take a side road for a second. Okay. (laughs) Because Dear Ephesus has kind of done us a favor in that on their Facebook page around 2014, 2015, they had a bunch of posts with the tag hashtag DE playlist. And it really shows us where their influences were at the time. Oh, nice. So, so they just did individual posts with like, here's a song by a band. And then they kind of gave some background on it, like what it kind of reflected in them. I have a whole page of things here. I don't know that we can really spend that much time on this, but I just, I, I want to hit some highlights here, you know? So for example, they posted a uh, monkey wrench by Foo Fighters and said, not joking when writing consolation, we rehearsed this song before every practice. So obviously big influence. Uh, I already told you one about John Ronston. They, they posted his song. No one said this was easy. Jimmy Eat World, Lucky Denver Menth, they said, played this nonstop during our last tour. They actually do, huh, there is Jeff Buckley on here. They, they posted his song, Grace. Well, um, and, they say, uh, <laughs> and they say, uh, Consolation, producer JC told us about this guy who had just died. 
I think I used my per diem to buy Grace on cassette in California, and Aaron and I jammed to it outside Gene Eugene's house. Hallelujah left us speechless. They, they posted a, a whole album by Jeremy Enoch, his whole uh, uh, first album, and said the SDRE slash Enoch shadow is still very long. So that's, that's quite obvious here. <laughs> um, they posted the Pearl Lou song. What, what Pearl Lou song do you think they posted? Oh, man. Oh, gosh. I feel like it could be a lot of them. Was it off sin? Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Um... You'll never get it. Okay, then never mind. They posted Cannon Fire Orange. Oh, okay, yeah, that yeah. would not have guessed that one. Nope. But then they did, they did say tough, picking, tough pickings with this band, so they <laughs> had a hard time picking a song. Uh, Sunvolt Drown, um, they said a buddy of Aaron showed him uh, Uncle Tupelo after Sunvolt put, put this single out. He was all, check this out, and I was all, this isn't country, and he was like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they posted a luxuries, uh, pink revenge and said, this one goes out to all the bands who got knocked out of a bill because we were playing. We're sorry, but you should, but you shouldn't hold, uh, but you shouldn't hold on to that. Forgive and forget, man. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, they posted braid, uh, the new, new Nathan Detroit's. They said when this record came out, you could hear a lot of drummers, a lot of touring drummers sound checking with the song's intro that, you know, yeah. Uh, Pearl Jam, Do the Evolution. They said, we went to a Blockbuster record store in Nashville when this came out and listened to the whole thing there. They say they posted Sunday Day Real Estate's Janu. Um, they said, the OGs. Yeah, I know, Fugazi and whatever. <laughs> jo- Joe Christmas. Guess what? Do you want to guess which Joe Christmas song they posted? Couplescape. No. Okay. Good guess, but no. <laughs> Scrabble Girl, which is my favorite Joe Christmas song. Oh, okay. Nice. Hum, downward is heaven. Um, said was was the was the jam on tour. The Get Up Kids. Um, they just they just quoted. Have you heard the Get Up Kids? Every emo kid in 1997. Right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> accurate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they posted Lug Soul, who they would go on to do a split seven inch with uh, Squad Five O, of course. Uh, they said two long tours, showcases, and many other one off shows. Uh, camaraderie, friendship, and they were n- and they were never not fun. Built a spill, keep it like a secret. They said a god amongst men. True. The promised ring. Why did ever we meet? And they just said this band. Can I feel that right here? That's that's uh, that gets me. <laughs> also on their Facebook page, they they talk back and forth to each other, but under the Dear Ephesus account, so you can't tell who's, who's saying what. But <laughs> but it's it's really entertaining. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Now we can get into the album. Nice. No good finds. I I didn't see that, and I appreciate kind of knowing some of the influences coming into this. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the album. It opens up with the song Portrait. Yes. So it starts off with this quiet guitar riff that you're like, and really from like the first moments that you hear this song, you know you have something great on your hands. And it isn't just the notes. And it isn't just the guitar tone, but even in those first few notes, which strictly and technically speaking are super cliche, (laughs) but something special is communicated in those simple notes. There's like this quiet, reserved thoughtfulness, and it it comes in the way like the notes are expressed, like the singular notes feel like they're soft, like hand-picked, finger-picked, you know, and then followed by a chord that's hit a bit harder, harsher, but kind of reluctantly. 
And then, boom, wall of sound, post-punk, post-hardcore guitars with lots of minor sevenths. And you immediately hear some Sunday Day Real Estate influences with all, like, the way the guitars are layered and stuff. But at the same time, these guys have their own sound going on. You know, it's not derivative. It's not super influenced by any given band. And, and it's just, it, it immediately feels nice. Especially that song in the back, that guitar in the background, that dunna 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 guitar. That, that that gives me Sunday Day Real Estate vibes. Yeah, I love the the loud, soft dynamic mm-hmm. how it starts, and they do that on a lot of the songs. They do, here. and I, I I don't know where where I took note of this, but somewhere I wrote down that they do the loud, soft thing with such confidence and competence that you could tell me they invented it, and I'd be like, sure, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but then Aaron's vocals come in. And just like, I mean, damn, they're, they're, they're powerful, but clear, they're understated, but like loaded with feeling and his vocal, his lyrics just like immediately capture your attention. And, oh, this is where I I took the note. Yeah. The, the, the soft, loud, soft on the song is done with such confidence. You could tell me they invented it and I I would believe you. That's why I wrote it right there. And it's really something that stands out with all of this album is it just seems like it's done by people who know exactly what they're doing and are accomplishing exactly what they set out to do. But in the write-up for this album, they say that, you know, they're, they're kind of unsure themselves in, in, the, in the studio. They're, you know, it's their first, their first full, full length, even though they had a pretty strong hand on that first EP. And this producer is, is kind of hands-off in, 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 in the background, you know? And so it's, the fact that they ended up with this album, I will say, is impressive. I think these these guys these guys have an innate or maybe they learned it, but it seems like they have an innate understanding of what it means to to make music. Yeah, I I was kind of struck by that too as I was re-listening to this. There's a lot of there's a nice amount of variety in the songs, but not so much that you're like, huh? You know, mm-hmm. and the, and to me, it like almost yeah shows maturity. Like, oh wow, there's a lot of clever ideas going on in mm-hmm. a lot of these songs, and it's impressive for a debut for sure. Yeah, you know they mentioned that the guitars are fighting for the same for the same um, for the same spot in the mix. You know, and and typically as a songwriter, you want to have you know you, you want to have a specific spot for your bass, and you want to have a specific spot for your guitars because. You know, if if your bass and your guitars are in the same frequency range, they're just going to disappear into each other. But at the same time, that works here to a certain extent because it just creates this really thick sound, like they said. But also, I feel like there's plenty of guitar going on at any, any given time where I'm, I can pick out two or three different layers of guitars, and that's beyond the thickness that I can't, that I can't dig into. Yeah. We're going to be right after a repeated chorus the second time after the second verse. And these layer guitars here are just beautiful. Yeah, 
then immediately goes into this bridge that kind of just grows a little bit more desperate as it goes. And then there's a portion of the song where they actually let it go quiet every once in a while, right behind this really, really uh, reverb, uh, um, a snare drum, which is, you know, always fun. I love, I love good old 80s snare drums. You know, it's funny. I, I had the same note in my notes. I just said, I wish they had cut the echo off the snare so it would be tighter, <laughs> like as it goes to the stop. Like, yeah. I would love to have it more just complete quiet right there. Yeah. You've kind of got that echo from the snare. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that critique of this album a little bit throughout the way. I, I feel like, like, while it doesn't sound amateur at all, like the production, I wish they had had like more money behind it or something to do like, a better studio or something. Cause there's mm. a few times in this album where I wish, yeah, like you could get rid of that echo or there's a, I want to talk about in a couple songs. Like I wish it was even louder on the loud parts, you know what mm. I mean? And yeah. so it, but yeah, I, I understand, especially Christian market, late nineties, like you're limited <laughs> on what you're dealing with. But, um, yes, I, I think you're, you're definitely limited, you know, in recording quality. I don't, I don't feel like, you know, we, we talked about with, um, with Bloomsday about the loud parts not getting loud enough, you know? And I don't feel like this album is suffering in the same way. I think that they do let the loud parts get loud. There's always going to be a limit to what recording can do with that, you know? It's never going to feel like a live performance. But it, you know, it, I, I think they do a, a pretty good job of that. But, but for right there, to on, on, on your first track on your debut album, to have portions of it where you just go absolutely quiet, that seems uh, it seems pretty ballsy to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's definitely different than anything, especially that was coming out in the Christian market yeah. at the time. Oh, definitely. Sure. And, and a lot of people kind of, kind of you know, give credit to, to Dear Ephesus here that they're, they're probably the first, uh, you know, band to, to really bring in this emo thing. You know, we, we, we've had a little bit of screamo kind of with uh, with Bloodshed earlier than this. And there's emo kind of on the outskirts of things. But this is this is probably the most just emo album that, that comes out on the Christian market at this time, I think. Well, there is Roadside Monument, you know. Good point. 12 Hours Away, Bringing a Man. But like that is very different style than this album. Yeah. This is much and that's, more that's, closer to sunny day and those things than that one does. I think that even he's a little more closer to, you know, like cap and jazz with a little bit of that math rock thing in it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there, there is sunny day. You're right. So that eventually goes back into this. Uh, there's this point right after that where this starts to build back up and there's this point where the bass goes boom. And then, bam, right into Wall of Sound. Let's hear that. Mm-hmm. 
And through that, they actually go through a little bit of a time change there where they speed, where they speed up the song. To me, it's great writing, great playing, great song. What about the lyrics? I think this is, this is one of the best songs where the lyrics really express what they're going for, I think, without annoying me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I want to read the, uh, the first verse in the chorus here. It says, she's a princess in her name alone, and how her beauty exceeds the moon, a breath of life when she fills his space, but he didn't know he's been so consumed. He truly loves her. They're a portrait of grace in many shades, and he's growing, learning more each day. You know she loves him in spite of all his ways. They're a portrait of grace in many shades. What do you think, Jay? Well, I cheated a little bit, but um, me too. It, it, it's uh, you know, sounds like it's about his marriage. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's mostly clear even before you do the cheating thing and read their website. Right. <laughs> Tell us what the website says. So you know, website basically just told us um, this is about marriage to his wife Sharon. So mm-hmm. funny enough, Aaron and Sharon. Um, <laughs> you know, and he they give Bible verses on every song and I did not look at all the verses on this, but um, you know, they are listed for every song on their old website. If you can find it in the way back machine, we'll have it. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's mainly about the uh, marriage. I'm looking for it exactly right now. Where is it? He says, I've come to realize in my short time of being married that I'm not too good at it. I truly praise God for the far surpassing blessing my wife is to me. And I stand in awe as I watch the Lord sculpt me into the husband he desires me to be. Marriage is beautiful. No, I was just going to say, I, have, I do have a question, though, about knowing that. I have mm-hmm. a question about one of the, the verses. Yeah. Um, and so let me read you that one that I'm trying to figure out. So later on, one of the verses says, His secret heart comes out at night. Vessel torn down, O oh beauty bright. Silence hears her cry. He longs for light, but she is alone but he is coming home. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's that one about? <laughs> I don't know. I have that pulled out too. I think, I think it's particularly kind of beautiful in the wording and kind of the visual that it evokes. But at the same time, I'm not sure exactly what it's hinting at. Like, is she crying? Cause he's, why is she crying? Silence hears her cry. Is she crying? Cause mm-hmm. he's not there. Um, I mean, it start, so it starts out with his secret heart comes out at night. Vessel torn down, oh, beauty bright. I don't know what that means. Yeah, what's his secret heart? Yeah, and if, if you get into to like traditional American evangelicalism kind of beliefs here, you know, they would tell you that nothing good happens at night. So his secret heart comes out at night can't be a good thing, right? Is this about sex? I don't think so. <laughs> Because they're not together. It's she is alone, but he is coming home. Hmm. I think it just has to do with, you know, um, with a line that happens in the first verse, which I really like that says, uh, but he, but he doesn't notice he's been, he's been so consumed. I think that's something that we can all kind of identify with, you know, the getting so caught up in what's going on around us or in our own inner problems that we lose sight of what's going on around us. And and kind of those around us who love us and and their their impact on our lives. So I think that has a little bit to do with what's going on here, where he's just 
been distracted about by what's going on in his life, but he he needs he's kind of he's trying to refocus basically. It's coming home, you know, figuratively, not literally. Then we're supposed to read into this. Let's read into it, Jay. Okay, all right. I got. What it. do you think it's about? Well, I at first I thought, oh, he's on tour or something, but I. <laughs> Hmm, interesting. I like <laughs> I that. Think, I hadn't thought about that. But I think that. now, like, maybe, you know, figuratively, it makes a little more sense with what you just said about the first verse. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. Honestly, this song is a little easier for me to understand than some of the others, so... I agree, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think there's... I, I made a note here, you know, that there's something both amateurish and profound about the writing of But He's Coming Home. Um, and especially in the way he delivers it, I want to go to that in the song here. It's interesting to me that the, but he is coming home part of that is kind of a, it's, it's delivered in a different um, voice than the rest of it, where it's, it's the rest of it's kind of building into this like anguish kind of thing. And then it kind of breaks in, but he is coming home is almost in the background. It's almost swallowed into his vocals. His vocals have a lot of vibrato kind of in them, which I, I was listening, mm-hmm. I was trying to think what makes his vocals so different. And I think that's one key part is he has that going on a lot. I did I did see the Counting Crows comparison in multiple <laughs> places when I was looking yeah. this up, which I would have never thought about, but then I went back and listened to a little Counting Crows, and I was like, well, when you play them side by side, not exactly, because again, he has more vibrato in his voice than, mm-hmm. I don't know the name of the singer Counting Crows, that he doesn't really, but it does kind of have share similarity. Because it it has this like, like bottom of throat like Ooh, yeah kind yeah of, right you know it's not yeah. that high like nasally emo like a lot of the stuff it's a very different mm-hmm. style vocal for you know this type of music so it's unique yeah i think it's part of what gives them their unique sound is that his vocals aren't occupying the same the same frequencies as most emo singers are so in a sense the guitars have to do something different than what a lot of emo guitars do yeah so they have to occupy a different a different place in the mix. And so it just goes about giving them that unique sound. All right, should we keep moving here? Yep, let's go to, you want to do the third song, Butter Never Bleeds. Yeah, and we're going to skip songs here. I don't think there's a bad song on this album, but we can't talk about them all, you know. <laughs> all right, so this song starts with some feedback and uh goes into some like rough guitar like almost chugging but it's not chugging which is nice because i don't like chugging and then in the verse it has kind of this like post-hardcore inspired like harmonic squilling let's let's listen to that here real fast kind of behind the vocals
I can't do it. But anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that part too. Yeah. <laughs> so this is one of the, you know, o- overall, this is one of the harder songs on the album. But it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of, um, you know, it's it's there's a there's an energy to this song, and I really want to talk about the about the lyrics on this one. (laughs) But I do want to at least look at two other moments in the song that have some good the good some good screaming really on Aaron's part because I think his his vocals really work. You know whether he's whispering or singing or screaming or whatever he's doing he 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 has such a great range for his vocals And I like how the song kind of falls apart after he screams right there too for a second. It feels like yeah. that with that like, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I put that in my notes too. I really like when he screams on some of these songs. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about the part where the, about it feeling like the song was falling apart, but you're really, you're right. That's, that's something that kind of, you know, there, there's a tension in all these songs on this album and maybe probably the ones that I, that I were talking about, especially because I like that, that there's, there's a great tension that comes from the, the uh, temporal uh, feeling of all these songs, I think. Temporary, maybe I should say that. I want to skip to one other part. It's my anthem. Well, that you part. could just sing it, Clifton. We don't need to play it. There we it. go. <laughs> no, I like that part too. That part has a really grunge sound to me too as well. So one one thing when I was listening to this song in particular, like this is one of the songs where I was like, man, I wish they'd had like a little bit better recording on this or more money. Cause, and, mm-hmm. and maybe it's what you were talking about when you read from their band camp, some of the, I don't know if it's just, they weren't using the best equipment, but I wanted that like heavy part to just feel fuller and, (laughs) and louder. And it, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it it needs more. Can Mm -hmm. can I, I, let me offer a comparison and I, I I hope you got this. So I want you, can you, if you, can you pull up Barry White by far, Mm -hmm. which is another band kind of from the same time. And I'm pretty sure this album was out on a, bigger label and i think it had more money behind it. it it's a very different style song but i just want you to listen when it gets loud like how full it feels to resurrect ourselves we disembowel our saints we never underestimate the destructive power 
that that right there just you know how it's got that really low deep end just really full like that's what i'm wanting to hear on this album and i know it's not yeah. their fault necessarily it's just like oh man if we could have heard this with that it'd be powerful <laughs> yeah i think that has more to do with mixing on it than anything honestly because it they let the song stay quiet you know and pretty quiet like whereas this these kind of even though there's loud part loud quiet parts on this you know the songs stay you know if you're looking at like the hurts that it, the, the, the 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 loudness of it on a, on a meter it doesn't really change all that much um whereas that song was allowed to be quiet there you know and and they really they they also kept it extremely empty with just the guitar and a little bit of drums but then yeah you're right that bass that comes in there you know that is just booming you're right yeah so one thing that's really that's really nice about this album that gives it a lot of it feel it makes them feel a lot more complex is that even though it has somewhat standard song structures, it doesn't feel like it because they have, they, they make the, it, it, they make the different parts sound different enough. And then they add in little, little one-offs here and there, you know, that really make it sound like a, a lot more complex songs than they actually are. Yeah. So should we get into the lyrics of this? Yes. Would you like me to tell you what the website says? <laughs> Not yet. Okay. <laughs> so in an interview, Aaron posed a challenge for everyone to prove the truth of his lyrics on this. He asked people to go cut a stick of butter in half and see if it bleeds or not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I will say I do like the title, the song Butter Never Bleeds. It just it, yeah. it, it rolls off your tongue nicely. It's a good song title. <laughs> yeah. So now that we settled that, uh, let's read every word of these lyrics so that we can clearly know what it's about. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right, I'm going to read this. All the sparks burn like a torch. All that's dark lights the front porch. Respect me, you cried out. Deserve more. Fill the water, spill into your lap. A great escape. You run far. You fall hard. Chased away like dogs in the front yard. A no-no. How come? See me. I'm as good as dead, but butter never bleeds. I must have gone crazy, tripped like the great movie ride, twisted around like a madman, stuffing words that just fill up your pride. Shooting photos of you coming down, spinning around like a merry-go-round. It wasn't easy, but now you finally realize, I'm so cool, that's what he screams, cool! S swim in my pool, see how to be, bark up the wrong tree. A bus stop, a nice place to save face. All the other kids, they laugh at me. Your high horse limps now. Tonto, don't you know that cowboys ride alone? A French kiss, your skin knees. It's gotta hurt, but falling down has never felt so sweet. Then they repeat the I must be crazy part. And they say, hey, it's my anthem. Hey, look, now I'm dancing. Hey, it's my anthem. Look, ma, I'm dancing. Now all the while I'm standing there playing coolest kid of, uh, in the universe. Dancing like a puppet on a string that's being pulled, cruising all around the block in a, in a black hearse. Now I've got to find a place, a place where I can go to call my own. I've got to find it now, got to find it now, got to find it now, 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 now. What do you think it's about? Well, um, Clifton, I think it's about pride. <laughs> Why do you think that? Because I cheated and looked on their website. All right, um, tell us what the website says. Yeah, the website just says, Pride will destroy us. Let us humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. 
Um, I will say I found that helpful. I needed kind of a frame to look at this because I think if I didn't, it, it's hard just to pick out any one line or couple lines and get it, at least for me, without mm -hmm. that. So, um, and I did even actually, we we're just going back over it. I do really like some of the lines in this. Me too. Um, kind of, I, I like at the end of the first verse, he says, all that's dark lights the front porch, which I think he's mm -hmm. talking about pride. You know, and maybe like lighting the front porch, like being the first thing people see is like his maybe pride and arrogance out there. I out felt the like it was doing a bad, like, I felt like dark doesn't light things very well. Well, right. Exactly. I guess, you know, like he, this is not <laughs> a good thing. He's not happy about this, but that's what's right. like out in front right now. Yeah. Yeah. So. First off, let, so it, it, it quotes a it, it references Proverbs sixteen eighteen, which is just of course the the pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So hear me out. To me, this just seems like the ups and downs of life. Like sometimes we're a little shits, and as we grow up, we, you know we fall down, we learn, and that's fine. But this song is kind of saying don't be a jerk just shut up in god right it, it it's 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 making a sin out of the way we learn go on so 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 you know the so for example the urge in teens um and young adults to this kind of like i can do it on my own kind of feeling is is natural it's literally how we learn without it we would just be helpless for the rest of our lives it's how we begin to learn to take responsibility for ourselves. But to me, this song looks at that and says, well, it, it just takes away kind of the joyful and harsh and wild ride that is life and growing up and getting to know yourself and just says, yeah, that's a sin. Hmm. I'm thinking about it. I don't disagree with that idea playing out all the time. I'm wondering if I see it as much in the song. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, I did have this thought the other day, and this is not about the song, but just in general about the church and Christianity, about how, you know, it, it's in some ways, some of this is kind of a racket, right? Because it's like, oh, um, we're going to tell you what you're doing is wrong. And then we're the one that have, you know, the tools to fix it. So like, right. you know, like, okay, hey, hey, cool. Do you know, actually, that's bad. But here's how you fix it <laughs> by coming to right. us and, you know, devoting all your time and money and energy. And so it's, and I think what you're saying is a little bit of that, right? It's like, this is actually normal life stuff. Yes. But we're saying it's bad and a problem. And so now you're putting all this energy into trying to overcome something that's natural anyway. Yeah, you know, we're, you know, basically, you know, in American evangelicalism, you know, we're taught to judge ourselves as unworthy so quickly when we should really just be giving ourselves a fucking break. You know, it, it, American evangelicalism is so obsessed with sin and so terrified of it. And why? Why are you guys terrified of sin? Didn't Jesus already forgive you of all of them that you could ever possibly commit? Just like, just live, you know? And to come back to what you were saying is... Yeah, and because this is not the last time we'll deal with this subject. In fact, most of the songs that we're going to talk about here deal with this same subject, as far as right. I'm concerned. And you know, what I wrote, I wrote later on here, you know, in, in, in thinking about these lyrics, that 
you know, that to build on and then to come back to what you said is when you have to be broken to find the, what, what is quote unquote true, that true thing is probably just a grift that's going to take, take advantage of your weakness, right? And then for that, another, my two biggest ways of saying, hey, this thing is a grift are number one, is it preying on you in your time of weakness? And number two, does it tell you what the problem is and then also have the solution that it wants to sell you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Those are the two biggest things that seem like grifts to me. And that is literally American evangelicalism. Yep. Yeah. I don't understand it. Jumping back to lyrics for a second, did you ever figure <laughs> out what butter never bleeds means? It literally doesn't bleed. I mean, <laughs> I, I kind of wondered if it was like he was saying he's butter and like it's uh, some kind of metaphor mm. about that and, and, and in like a in a kind of an embarrassing like you know way like uh, I don't know. Imagine a big, like slab of butter, and just like, oh, cool, that's me. <laughs> um, you know, because he says I'm as good as dead, but butter never mm. bleeds. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. This one was a struggle. Is he I, is he saying he doesn't bleed because he's stronger than that, or is he saying butter butter doesn't bleed because he doesn't have anything left to give? That's more what I felt like. I felt like he's just like a blob of fat or something. Basically, yeah. like it's just like nothing impressive, you know? Okay. Um, because there's a lot of that idea in this album of, I don't know if I want to say self-hatred. That's too mm -hmm. strong. But like, no, there yeah. is. There, there's a lot of self-loathing on this album. Being Yeah. Being angry and frustrated with yourself because of, you know, like you're saying, probably things that are pretty natural, but mm -hmm. um, not feeling like they were the godly thing to do at the time i have one other aside on this that i've been pondering and i cannot figure out maybe you had a lead on it he, <laughs> and, and this is because this is the line that stands out a lot in the song just when you hear it at least to me when he says tripped like the great movie ride okay i know what the great movie ride is it was a ride um you know at um what was it mgm at, at disney there you know right is it MGM Studios at Disney? MGM, I think, what, yeah. Yeah. Their studios at Disney. It's actually no longer there. I think they... I, I mean, I did some research on this. I think they took it out in like 2006 or seven. I have been on the Great Movie Ride when I was there oh, really? like in the 90s. It's just basically like all the best parts of movies. And you travel on this little like... I remember it's a boat or, you know, a little car. And you go through it. You see them all. And so I like was trying to see, is there something people tripped on? Like, I don't know why this is in there. I know the band is from Orlando, so this is a local attraction mm -hmm. to them, but I could not figure out what this is about. Well, it says I must have been crazy tripped on the great movie ride. So maybe it's saying like, this should have been the easiest thing I've ever done, right? Just get on a boat and let someone show me great moments in movie history. But I don't know. Did, did but he, still failed to do that. I do yeah. like the next two lines, though. Twisting around like a madman. Stuffing words that just fill up your pride. Hmm. And then the next line is, shooting photos of you coming down. So is that yeah. like blackmail material or schadenfreude? What do you, I don't know. Well, the other I. <laughs> Other thought I had of keeping with the theme park ideas, you know, when you like come down oh. a roller coaster and they take oh. photos of you. So, 
like pretty literal. I was wondering if that was it. You know how they would try to always sell them to you, you know, when you leave. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe that's it. Because he talks about a merry-go-round next. So we kind of got the whole theme park thing. I don't know. We should stay there more. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) I struggled with with a lot of songs with this kind of stuff because it is kind of vague and, you know. Um, I will say I did like the part where he says, Hey, it's my anthem just in the song, the way it kind of breaks down oh, yeah. right there. And the way he sings it, um, still unclear what his anthem actually is. But... I assume it's butter never bleeds. <laughs> yeah. You know, he only says it once in the song. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I like this song quite a bit. I wish I, and I watched it live on one of the videos, but still when mm-hmm. you're not there, you know, watching it live, especially on a poorly recorded, like, VHS tape from the 90s just doesn't really do it justice but um yeah again I I like the song and I would love to even hear it fresh live like with even yeah. more power behind it cuz it's really it's cool it's definitely like probably the fastest song on the album um mm-hmm. it kind of changes the flow of things you know in yes. cuz this next song definitely slows down a little bit it does should we talk about th- the videos of them live real fast. <laughs> sure. I think they have an amazing presence. I think that, that they pull off way more of what's on the album than you would think they would live. Right. And then Aaron's, Aaron's presence is, is spot on. Like it's just, it's energetic. It is, it, it, it gets down to the feelings. He's, he's a re- he's a really good front man, you know? Um, I I, it, 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 I was very impressed by it. Yeah, they're good live. They have a lot of stage presence. And I always feel like when there's a guy that's only singing, you know, as a front man, sometimes that can be a little difficult. I don't even know what to do, but he puts mm-hmm. a ton of energy into it. And it's good. Yeah, I kind of, I yeah. don't think, I'm trying to think if I saw them at Cornerstone, maybe in 96. I don't mm-hmm. know if they were there then because this came out in 97. I don't think I ever saw them live. And, Wish I had, because yeah. this is good. I'll also say that, you know, you, you sent a, a, a link to me of um, some things that Keith Huntington, he, he videos a lot of stuff. <laughs> and he has a bunch of stuff on YouTube of, of, of shows from around this period. And he, he has a bunch of shows from TomFest 98. And of all those shows, they all sounded like shit. But when Dear F this came on, their mix live from stage was almost what you hear on the album. Like it was everyone else just got out there and turned their guitar up as loud as possible. And was like, good luck to everyone else. But these guys came up there and like have a mix that they, that they lived in. It was, it was really impressive. Yeah. All right, yeah. Let's I'll move just, on to the I'll next one. <laughs> <laughs> so did you not think song, that? No, I did. I just couldn't think of anything clever to say. So I stopped myself. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, song four is a step for dance. So this song starts off with just some uh, delicate guitars, and 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 Aaron's vocals, uh, and then I want to I want to play a part of that, but also go into right after his vocals drop out, we get these kind of like background ooze that 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 emerge after this first verse that are kind of really haunting, and I I, I want to listen to that and appreciate that. That thing I think it does a really good job setting the mood on this song. Pops on the floor, the 
if you're not listening for it, you can kind of miss them just there in the background. Did you hear them? Yeah, I did. I kind of was thinking I'd like to hear more of that. Like, I wish they would have kept that for longer in the song. It's they nice. do. It comes back. Um, I'll, I'll play a little bit more of it later. And, and I th- one of the things I think is just really impressive, once again, is is just the number of different rhythms going on, you know? So the the drum, is, it has kind of carved out this really, like, kind of almost like a marching rhythm, but it's keeping it going. And where, whereas the guitars are on this much more like fluttery and, and just like, kind of thing. And then Aaron comes in with his vocals and is just completely at odds with all of them, but it, it sounds great. The, the, and so all, when, when you, when, you know, each of these things independently is kind of easy, but when you, when you mix all of this together, that's, that's songwriting. Yeah, this song, in some ways, I think is kind of the the pretty simple structure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that it kind of how it builds throughout, and it's got a few different parts in here I really like. This one I did actually write down the time. I like the bass line around two forty five. Okay, in there, I thought it was really kind of a cool part. I mean, it's real high, but it's just doing something kind of different, you know? Yeah, and they have they have like a cello or something like that taking the bass part right there. You're mm-hmm. right. That, that yeah, was, that was very nice. Again, it's something where you're like, this feels like a kind of mature band to be yeah. doing that stuff. And then I love the way it gets, when he screams out, burn the stitch work from my eyes, how it gets really <laughs> loud right there. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm a fan of the, you know, soft loud in this one. That whole that whole bridge is just oof. And I like kind of how he's rhythmically like heal me, touch me, Jesus like I'm not doing a good job of it at all, but yeah. the way he kinda has that rhythm on that last part when he's singing that mm-hmm. too. It's it Yeah, this song ends really well. I mean, I like the whole song, but it it, it ends really strongly. I agree. Let's dig into these lyrics. Do you wanna do you wanna tell us what the uh, website says first? <laughs> Just, we'll just straight up treat this this first. one is like i mean at least by the end it's somewhat clear but yes i'll tell you according to aaron this is from the website so often as children we kick and scratch for our own foolish desire we must learn that our way will fail us eventually but we have a father in heaven who will hear our prayer so let us seek him what is still called today and it it references hebrews 6 19 and 20 which is we have this hope as an anchor for our soul firm and secure it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. To me, much like the previous song, which I think has the same kind of theme as this, such as, you know, it's, it, it, and it's, it, it's this, like, 
you know, it's this like, oh, I can't do anything right. Everything about me is absolutely wrong. I have to completely destroy myself and become Jesus because I'm worthless pile of filth. I, well, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Let's say that. <laughs> but at the same time, I think these lyrics kind of beautifully express this toxic feeling, but in a way that <laughs> buys into that toxic feeling. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're um, right. It's done, it's done more eloquently in, in, in a pretty style. Yeah, I mean. It is. Yeah, let me, let me read you here the first, the first uh, I think this is the first verse in chorus. I apologize for spinning words like tops on the floor. Does this mean that I'm insincere? I've weighted thoughts like unlike a spendthrift. Sincerely, I have lied to you. Shamelessly, I've made my point of view. Carelessly, sewn circles must restart. I've stood on things that drown in the dark. I, I, I especially appreciate that sincerely I have lied to you. Yeah, it's a good line. Yeah, and also the last line there, I've stood on things that drown in the dark. So my critique of this isn't to say that there aren't things that drown in the dark. There certainly are. I just think that American evangelicalism has it all wrong. I think they've made a, like American evangelical preachers have made a profession out of overreacting to sin. And I, by the way, that, that bridge that we just listened to, I want to read the, vo the lyrics for that because it's, it's really great. It says, Oh, to blast my soul, the casket never knows. A, man crave, a dead man craves a life. Why'd those rows pick his advice? Dance a step for love. Scent the worm to feed the dove. Grasped at air, suck dry the sky. Princely robe tore at my thigh. Pity one who is a boy. When he cries out at no such joy, pattern patched this quilt alive, burned this patchwork from my eyes. <laughs> oh, to blast my soul. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah. I think, I think you make a good point. I'm just thinking about it as you're saying it. It's like, not that like sin is a good thing. I don't think you're saying that, you know, it's, no. but it, it's just you're making too big a deal out of it. Like it's a natural yeah. human thing. Everybody messes up and it might be different. Seriously. If, if it's like, I don't know, Jeffrey Dahmer singing sincerely, I have lied to you like that, sure. you know, but uh, an average guy who's just trying to get through life um, and feeling bad about every little thing you're doing, it, mm -hmm. it's not a helpful way to go. Yeah. You know? And let, let me read to you me, me ranting to myself while I'm listening to this song. I said, just stop being so fucking down on yourself all the time, Christians. For real, I'm worried about you. No wonder the U.S. is the most fearful people in the world. And especially for people that have nothing to be fearful of, we don't live in an ongoing society ending civil war. We aren't in the middle of a decades-long drought that has dried up our fields and taken our food. We live in very comfortable lives. But I think we humans aren't great at being comfortable. So we seek out something to be afraid of. And we've got plenty of pastors and endless pulpits telling people that they need to be scared of sin and so scared of themselves. <laughs> That's it. Uh, yeah. stop being scared it's not healthy right and it's I, I don't know in some ways this 
this feeling of never being good enough is in some ways kind of the antithesis of the gospel, right? Because Jesus mm-hmm. was like, like he had no qualms about hanging out with, you know, right. prostitutes or whatever you want to society views as bad. And so, yes. And I know he said, go and sin no more, but that doesn't mean, you know, it, it doesn't mean that your sin right now is the end of the world and that, God can never love you or anything like that. Like, I, I, I think you're right. In some ways, they've kind of made a market out of this of, you know, yes, this is a problem. You've got to fix it. We've got the answers right here mm-hmm. um, rather than, hey, everybody, this happens to everybody. You're normal. You're not weird. You don't have a problem. Um, I mean, I think this is probably a topic for another podcast, but I've been thinking a lot about just the concept of original sin and how that like. Mm-hmm. really will fuck you up if you dwell on that for very long <laughs> and and the way it makes you look at other people and everything else it is yeah. not not at all a helpful view and i know that as a standard you know protestant faith thing that has been you know kind of standard for a long time but i do not think it is helpful at all for people to dwell on that no i don't think many of these things that were that that, that i mean Especially the the evangelical interpretations of these verses, you know, that we've been looking at here, are are all kind of, I mean, they 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 are fundamentally self loathing. And I, I was reading about this the other day. What was maybe something you sent me, or maybe something I just stumbled upon? But it was talking about, you know, how unhealthy it is to have this mindset of. Um, actually, it was one of the podcasts you recommended that they were talking about this uh, this mindset of. Of you know, constantly being consumed by I'm not good enough, so God has to completely erase me and replace me. Well, fuck, then why am I? Yeah. Why why start with me? (laughs) If I need to be completely erased and replaced, why why do I matter to this equation? Right. You know, there's no place for me in this equation. God loves you. (laughs) Obviously not. Yeah, it 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 can cause some um, you know, mental anguish to say the least. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of mental anguish, let's move on to the next song, The Holidays. <laughs> um, so I, I I will say I really enjoy the way this song starts off, the way he mm-hmm. counts it off. It, again, it's just kind of a nice thing that I feel like a band on their your first album some bands might try it and not pull it off, but they pull off most of the kind of adventurous things they do on this, and, mm-hmm. and it flows as an album too. I mean, it it's it's really nice. Yeah, I mean, we we literally end with a beat and a step for dance, and it's like it's like beat, and then he comes in with a count two, three, four. Right. That, that intro is wonderful like and especially like the two three four and the bass kind of does this and like it almost feels like waking up like it's just like let's go song you know <laughs> he also is 
really soft with his vocals there. Like, yes, really almost whispering it, which is a nice change as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the the lyrics are fundamental to this song. Um, so I think we're going to get into them pretty soon, but I do want to talk about a few things before we get there. But, you know, the first that first, you know, he starts off with there, you know, we used to be so carefree. Now we've become a, a divided family, which is kind of the would you say like the the thesis of this song? Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I would say so. Yeah. So I want to skip uh, forward real fast here where there. So Aaron, Aaron's vocals come in here at the uh, which was kind of a chorus for the song. And they kind of have this real like desperation to them where the first part's been a little bit somber and then we add a little bit of desperation, but in, like more in the forefront here. I'm, I'm going to listen to that. Now it's Christmas. Gather around the tree. Something's missing. Is it only me? Stockings You know, Aaron just has this, 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 you know, and I think that right there is a good example, you know, just his ability to bring a sense of like acting to kind of like acting out the scene of the narrative through his vocals. That's kind of vital to understanding the emotional core of this music. And I think it's one of the reasons that you can really, even though his vocals are very different from a lot of emo band vocals, it's one of the most emotionally evocative parts of these songs. Even the music is excellent too, but his vocals are really interesting. I often say that I don't like people who can sing. And when I say that, I almost always mean people who are more interested in interested in singing a song than they are in telling a story through the vocals of the song. And Aaron here is kind of a prime example of the kind of vocalist that I that I just adore that that you that kind of every expression of each vocal is carefully considered and delivered as a performance with intended meaning not just singing the words in a singy way. I explained that really well, right? Actually, it makes sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, like you said, there's a lot of like falsetto in this and, and vibrato. And a lot of singers do falsetto and vibrato, but they do it more as just like a technical skill than as a means to express what they're saying. Right. And, and we, we, we heard in the beginning there with a little bit of history of the band that Aaron, after high school, went into acting. And I think he brings a lot of that to his performance here in that it's not just rote repetition of, of words. He is acting out these lyrics. I think they're great. Yeah. This is definitely more of a, like a personal reflection type song, kind of like a little bit like portrait at the beginning. Yeah. I, my question, and you, you may have been asking too, is, is this figurative? Is this actually a personal reflection on his family growing up? I mean, is it that personal? I don't, yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah. There's one moment I want to listen to here before we really dig into those lyrics and ask those questions more deeply. We can I love, cut that out and ask it later. <laughs> we can do that. I love the mangled scream that's coming up here in a second. And then um, it goes into like uh, the, the, the kind of the bridge of where can a young boy hide here.
Yeah, those little moments that they do, like like when he's when he goes into the vocals there of where can a young boy hide, the the song feels like it almost pauses for a second, right, and then comes back. Yeah. You know, just those little those little moments that they put in there like that are are kind of the. You know, they're the kind of heart and the soul of this album. They just they give it that charm. Yeah. So, let me ask your question again. <laughs> so, lyrics. Uh, I think my thing is, I was going through these, I was wondering, is this figurative or is it actually personal? Is it really about his family growing up? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know that we're giving any insight to that. Um, do you want to tell us what the website says? <laughs> so from Aaron it says divorce runs rampant in this country and thousands of kids are hurt by this daily my encouragement is to trust that even when our earthly family fails us and there seems to be nowhere to turn our heavenly father remains the same and truly gives us a hope and that hope does not disappoint us so yeah I don't know that it's I mean it, it seems written with if it's not personal it, it seems to be written with a lot of empathy and 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 kind of you know, the job of the writer to put themselves in someone else's shoes, you know? So if it's not personal, I think he, he, he is a very empathetic person and he does a good job of putting himself in other people's shoes. Right. Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> this song, I always think of like Christmas time because it starts off with the holidays and then he mm -hmm. says, and now it's Christmas in the chorus. Although I probably would not put this on a Christmas compilation just because it, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, our last, you know, we, our last real episode, we talked about happy, you know, we talked about Christmas episode, Christmas in heaven, and yes. some of those songs were real weird. Um, but this is like, <laughs> it's kind of dark sounding when he gets to the chorus. I don't know. It starts yeah. off kind of nice, the holidays, but then it gets like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a happy Christmas. I'll say that. It's not. And, and, you know, <laughs> even though this is about divorce, as far as Jeffers is going to tell us. And, you know, there's a line or two that really specifically point to that, such as now we've become a divided family. I like to think of this as more a song just about loss in family. You know, when I when I was nine, um, we lost my my grandmother, my mom's mom. And when I was 12, we lost my grandfather, my dad's dad. And, you know, those 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 losses hurt. And especially holidays, you know, which which are meant to be kind of joyous occasions, you know, kind of hurt all the more. Especially, you know, after those losses, you know, kind of your, your first holidays, your first Christmas, after after those people have, you know, after you've lost those people in your family, you know, it does. It feels like there's an empty chair, like there's just something missing to this, and it it takes it takes time to readjust um, from those losses, whether it be from divorce or death or 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 distance or whatever. I um, <laughs> you're you. Your interpretation of the empty chair is much better than mine because I've, you know, just recently over the holidays watched a Muppet Christmas Carol, and I was wondering <laughs> if the empty chair is a reference to Tiny Tim, you know, in Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure Scrooge does say like, "Oh, there's I see an empty," or the ghost to him says, "I see an empty chair," um, in the future for Tiny Tim. So I, interesting, I, you know, I don't know. I was it was in the zone. I one thing I do want to point out. With this song, is he? Well, wait a second. Wait a second. There, there could be one, other, one other interpretation to an empty chair. Okay. Which is, which is, uh, for which is the Sabbath. Um, well, is it the Sabbath? No, it's a, uh, it's Passover where you have an empty chair for Elijah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I don't know. But, just thought. But Jewish people don't celebrate Christmas, Clifton. They celebrate holidays. 
Um, one thing I wanted to point out in this, I wanted to make sure I didn't miss, is this has the most emo line of any line in the entire album because he actually says, I think I'll cry. Um, <laughs> which I don't know of any other emo album I've ever listened to where that's actually been, you know, they come out right and say it, but it's yeah. in this one. Very good. Let's keep moving. We got a lot, we got a lot more songs to do. I know. We got to get moving. Uh, player piano, number six. So this song starts off with this little guitar part that I honestly didn't remember. I just remember the dun 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 right. dun dun. I didn't remember all the arpeggio stuff before that. So as I was going through this again, I was like, oh, I, I guess I my memory just uh, erased that part. Yeah. So once again, we have some really excellent layered guitars in this that I want to listen to. That bass there. I thought that was kind of beautiful. Just the the five different people doing five different things, where their different rhythms kind of play off of each other and play into each other. It's it's once again, it's impressive songwriting. And you know the the lyrics of the song in that area right there have like a kind of a mystical feel to them. And I think that kind of all those five parts coming together kind of really goes a long way to deliver that feeling into the song. So, but then, then into the chorus, we have all the while there's a symphony on the music box. And all the while there's a symphony on the music box. As I sit behind the keys of my player piano, I cry. And in a while, face the man behind a child. And suddenly it All of my notes are just beautiful points in this song, so let's keep let's let's, let's just keep going on, on here on our uh, exploration of the beautiful parts of this song here. Okay. Just the, anyways, the just to be and the wait and see parts. Yeah. And then I'm going to interpret a little bit here and say this song goes from, you know, a little delicate uh, uh, dealings with a child. And then all of a sudden a man behind the child comes forth. And is there conflict? For some reason, that 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 kind of like dun dun part like seems like really pointed to me, like almost like an accusation as as part of the uh, the music here. 
Yeah. Dun, dun. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So lyrically, what do you think the song's about? (laughs) Oh, Clifton, why do you ask? I'm just going to tell you what he says on the website. (laughs) Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> our Lord is there calling us and patiently waiting while we do our thing. The Lord tarries because he desires that not one of his children should perish. Now, if we would be patient and wait on him, we would stand amazed at what things he would do. The Lord's timing is perfect. Hmm. Interesting. So the course of this is all the while there's a symphony on the music box. And as I sit behind the keys of my player piano, I cry. And in a while, Faced a man behind a child, and suddenly it hit me, you're with me, I care. I, I, I enjoy the, the metaphor of there's a symphony on the music box as I sit behind the keys of my player piano. Two things that make music without us having to play them. Hmm. Good point, yeah. But I don't really know what the song is like. I don't know how that feeds into this idea that God is just waiting. I did sense a shift in this song from the first verse to the last verse. The first verse mm-hmm. seems more like, you know, boy without God kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, to the last verse seemed like, you know, I found my way. God is with me kind of thing. You know, he says in the last verse, he says a long way from his home, took the choice to make it his own, not alone. And it seemed like, yeah, he's kind of transitioned from being without God to finding God. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. He's a young child again, found a way of letting it in. Wait and see. Wait. Right. Speaking of he's a young child again, I want to move on to the second next song. All these kind of songs kind of feed into each other lyrically. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. I mean, I think that's a, that's a common theme in this is like being a boy, being a kid Mm -hmm. thing. It happens a lot on this album. Yeah. And it's, and it's going to be this song and the next song that we do. So this next one is A Boy and His Kite, which is an interesting song in that it's probably the only song on the album that's in 3-4 time, and it feels a little bit like a waltz. Hey, I said that too. Good job. <laughs> So it starts off with these kind of like mumbled vocals, which I don't think are Aaron. I think they're Ed or something like that, someone else, one of the guitarists. And then they repeat, and then we get we do eventually get Aaron's vocals coming in over the top again, um, in a completely different rhythm. Tell you the truth as a 17 year old i didn't know what these lyrics were but i really liked the way that rocked out there you know the, <laughs> the when it kicks in it's the hey you do you 
something, something, something. Can you relay more words? I don't know. I do something. I don't know. And it also has a little bit of like a like a, a, a um, Nirvana thing going on to it right there. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice part. This song was the only one I believe they took over from the self-titled EP. That is also oh, that's right. It is on this album too. Yeah, and it doesn't sound that different. Uh, it's fairly stays pretty close to the original. Really? Okay. Yeah, I didn't go back and compare them. Good. I'm glad you did. Also, has another great point later on here where they get into uh, screaming the words "fly away" over and over again. <laughs> And there's something about this that reminds me, maybe it's just the nonsense lyrics and the the mumbled parts, but there's something about this that reminds me of Sunday Day Real Estate's LP2 a lot. Okay. I don't know what, but it's, yeah. it's just there to me. Which is my favorite Sunday Day Real Estate album. I don't care. It is a good one that gets like overlooked it. a lot, for sure. Yes. So, on their Facebook page, Dear Ephesus actually put a quote at one point, that said this. Those who have hope are like a boy in his kite. The kite may conceivably conceivably be so high in the clouds that it cannot be seen, but he who holds the the string fills the tug of it on earth. Fulton Sheen on being human. Ah, interesting. But that's not what they say on their website, is it, Jay? No, it's not. On their website, they say... The innocence and beauty of a young child as he flies a kite. May we find that fullness of joy as we serve our Lord. And it references Matthew 8, 3, which says, And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a ch- little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. So this song's about childlike innocence? Mm, sure. <laughs> So before we were talking about kind of the process of self-discovery and doing things on your own that lead to taking responsibility for yourself. And now we have the other side of that, which is kind of like childlike innocence, which is basically just being free of the demands of taking responsibility for yourself and your place in the world. (laughs) You know, life is grand when you don't have a damn care in the world and you can just focus on what's immediately in front of you. Um, For example, let me read the lyrics here to you. Leave away, boy with your kite, it just cannot be true. Wishing him, wishing him gone, there's no time to be caught up in the air. But watching him dance to the songs in his life, I must stare. So the song's about being mesmerized by a child without a care in the world, which is nice, but it's not real for adults. It, it also is such a, a good point, though, of like, in earlier songs, he's getting so frustrated by you know, not being who he wants to be in life, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of putting these false expectations on himself Mm -hmm. when, like, he could just be like the boy with the kite and let it go and enjoy just being who he is, which seems to be kind of what, yeah, he's looking at in this song. So it's just, I don't know, it's a little bit ironic. But being the boy with the kite is just being free of expectations, being free of responsibility. 
Well, which would probably really be good for him because <laughs> it seems to be weighing on him a little too much. Yeah, I mean, it's that kind of it's it. You know, as as when, when we're this age in life, you know, when we're in our late teens and early twenties, we definitely spend a lot of time thinking. I think about those carefree days of being a child, but I think there's a fundamental incongruity going on here in what he's he's talking about between. Oh, if I could just be careless, carefree, like a child with a kite. But at the same time, he's, he's, well, I, I guess that if you follow the mindset of what's going on in this album, you would choose to never take responsibility for yourself. Hmm. Or maybe you're because, taking responsibility for yourself too much. Right, and you need know. to give it over, and I don't know. Maybe yeah, so. Yeah. Maybe you're right. Yeah. So let's keep moving on on that same theme. Uh, we're going to skip a bunch of songs now um, to The Flight of Peter Pan. Okay. And I don't have a lot of things to say about the song, in the, like the actual music in this song. Um, I do like, I mean, it, it is nice. Uh, we get We get some... Um, some kind of pretty guitars with some xylophone kind of playing over them. song doesn't go a lot of places it really repeats itself a lot but it does it in a kind of beautiful and jarring and kind of wild way there's you know that jeffsis continues on here kind of you know they they put in these magical little moments that that always make it feel like it's going the songs are going in, in new directions but let's do jump into these lyrics jay what does the website say about this song <laughs> i truly pray we all learn to put to death the peter pan which lies within all of us mm-hmm so the last song was, let me, let me, let me go back and Matthew eight, three and true. And, and he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. On this song, he references first Corinthians three eleven. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the, ch- the ways of childhood behind me. Okay. Wait, what? <laughs> So that childlikeness that we were admiring in the last song is now uh, pushed out of the way and said, hey, you got to grow up. And, you know, when you grow up, you got to put childish things behind you. So both put childish things behind you and become like a child. Hmm. I don't know what to do. Yeah. This is a problem. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. And it's not. It's not exactly clear what the problem is with, you know, Peter Pan and the song and being a child. Uh, I mean, he, at one point he does say, uh, I never meant to spend years in your silly world. I've been ignorant living in a fairy tale. There's no fantasy when I call it your name. My only reality, Jesus, the same. Mm-hmm. But I don't really, yeah, you're right, because the earlier song, Childhood, is looked at as a good thing, and Innocence, what, what, what is the problem with this? Yeah, the I only thing know. I come up with is, is kind of what you quoted there, which is that 
you know, childlike innocence, because it's held on to for too long, in this instance becomes a bad thing, becomes a sin. Hmm. And we need to put that part of us to death. He literally says, put to death in his, in, on the website. I truly pray that we all learn to put to death the Peter Pan, which lies within all of us. I don't know. If I could be Peter Pan and fly around all the time, the Lost Boys, <laughs> I think I, that would be it. Yeah. And you know, it probably would become dull over time, but that's just the problem of immortality. Immortality right. is dull. The reason life is worth living is because it changes and it ends. Yeah, I I see what he's trying to do with this song. I just, I don't know. It's maybe not the best comparison, you know? Yes. Agreed. All right. Let's put an end to this. What do you think of the album overall? Much, much better than I thought. I honestly really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, yeah. we've talked about this some. Some of the episodes are a slog. Or I'm like, oh god, I have to listen to it again. Um, but this one was really nice. I didn't. I really enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the things that I've noticed is kind of this theme of the more non-traditional the music is, it seems like the lyrics are more pulpit pounding, self-loathing, sin fearing. Hmm. Oh, we're going to have to see if that holds up as we continue. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Whereas on the other side of that, like Johnny Q Public, which I always thought of as like this, like one of the ultimate youth group approved bands, is way more sub- subversive and questioning in their lyrics True. than almost all of the, uh, almost all of the, you know, more progressive and more alternative bands out there. I mean, I think that overall is one theme we, we've seen throughout this is a lot of this stuff seems edgy and alternative and different. Mm-hmm. And then when we dig into the lyrics, we're like, oh, it's just the exact same stuff like from their parents' church that they mm-hmm. were hearing, you know? Like, yeah. Just same thing, just packaged differently. And eternal, internalized. Yeah. 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 Uh, that said, I think that, you know, musically, the album's honestly superb. Um, I, 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 I give, you know, I've given a lot of compliments already. I think the vocals are powerful. I think the guitars are honestly delicious. Um, the songwriting is purposeful and evocative. Uh, the recording and studio work suggest a much more mature and experienced band that knows what they're going, they're doing, making an album, which they don't seem to suggest that they are in, in the write-up for this album. And so I, I think it's just, I don't know. I, I'm really impressed with it, but I, I think I do once again, find the lyrics wanting. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, what did you think of like artwork package, packaging, all that stuff? Yeah, you know the cover is perfect. I mean, like I, th- it, you know, it's it's like it's this like dark navy blue sky with uh, some stars shooting across of it, and kind of a picture frame over to the left, and then uh, um, the the title of the album down below it. One of my biggest curiosities on this album is what the title what the title of the album means, which is the the Constellation of Pianissimo, which I'm going to just tell the truth here and say that when I was a kid, I always thought it was the Constellation of, of Pianissimo, not the Constellation, because I just looked at it once and I saw the stars and I was like, sure, Constellation. I never thought about it again, I, you know? Yeah, I, now I'm going to, I'm going to not be so nice about the title. I feel like this is like really like, oh, this sounds emo. Like, I don't I know. So. They learned SAT vocabulary words or something and strung them <laughs> together and were like, oh, I mean, that to me, that 
Because I, I did, consolation from the dictionary means the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. Mm-hmm. And pianissimo means very softly, you know, music term. It's and a musical term, yeah. So, I don't know, you're getting comfort from something soft. I, I, I Well, specifically just, soft music. It just seems like kind of nonsense strung together to me, but to sound cool. I'm, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> but it's not from what i can remember it's not referenced anywhere in the lyrics no you know there's not a song called that it, it i don't know i felt like that was a little too trying to be emo for me can i counter what you're saying yes it is really cool and it sounds really fucking emo and it's awesome <laughs> all right you're right you're right. <laughs> <laughs> i do agree with you that the cover artwork really works for this album i thought the liner notes you know, I think they actually just stole some images from like old mm-hmm. books and stuff, like you know, hundred fifty year old books and stuff, and and like draw yeah, like Victorian like era that. books, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it works strangely. I mm-hmm. think for this, like honestly, it's well put together. It all works well. Yeah. Yeah, it's very nice. The back of it, behind the uh, behind the CD, where it's just like a black thing, and it has a picture of them. You know. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that reminds me of Recess Theory, which is maybe Branston a little bit, which is you know connected to this band. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Overall, I think yeah, the packaging does its job. I think it communicates what the album is. Uh, one thing I wanted that we hadn't mentioned is there are two secret tracks on this album. Yes, one of which is just Aaron kind of with an acoustic guitar, but the last one, I which have... we should mention that Aaron can play guitar. Yes. Even though he just sings, he he can write and he, he he does write himself some, and he does play guitar and it's a, it's a nice track. The life begins with a smile. Yeah, it's a nice track. The the last one though, I had no idea what. Uh, actually, can you just play the <laughs> just the beginning of it a little bit? Hello, check, check, baby, check. Yeah, this one goes out to Sutton Place. Turn it up, JC. Yeah, so it's 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 Lou, the bass player, um, and evidently this is actually another band of his called the Wax Tito's, which Mm -hmm. I learned from watching the two-hour-long Dear Evans' bootleg. (laughs) And it's kind of it's like we're gonna rock the heck out of you. Uh, It's honestly not a terrible song, and the reason I'm bringing it up now because I think this is gonna fit with where they are now. Lou actually did a band after this called Gasoline Heart, which I don't know if you've listened to Clifton. It's honestly pretty good. Like that's I, one I, of my that's on my list of like, okay, I'm gonna listen to this more in the next. Huh, no, few I didn't. Weeks. I never got around to actually listening to like it. Like it, it, I, I mean, it's much better than that because <laughs> that's very rough <laughs> and old. But you can see like what he was wanting to do. Like there, mm-hmm. there's a connection there. Um, so yeah, it's funny. There's nothing in the liner notes to tell you what at all that is. So for about you know, 20 years <laughs> until about now, I had no idea. But ladies and gentlemen, that's the mystery. And if, if you watch that two hour long bootleg thing, you'll hear that song for an hour and a half of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had to fast forward through some of the live parts, not because they're not a good live band, but the recording quality was so bad. Oh, so bad. That I just was like, okay, I got to I got to move on. Yeah. I, I listened. I watched the whole thing 
kind of just in the background while I was doing other things. It was fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't have just sat and watched it for two hours, though. Right. So, I mentioned a little bit, but where are they now? Dear Ephesus put out another album um, in the summer of 1998 called The Absent Sounds of Me, which we'll talk about some other time. And they also put out a split 7-inch on Velvet Blue with Lug Soul. And at some point, Deep Elm, I think, got Dear Ephesus some dates on the Warp Tour. And then they began a tour with Pop Unknown. I know they toured with Appleseed Cast a little bit. Oh, they did they? I remember that. Yeah. Early, when Appleseed Cast released that first album, which would have been cool to see. Yes, that would have been great. So they did eventually tour with some emo bands. And then in late March 1999, some dates were canceled, some of their live shows, and rumors started to spread. And on March 20th, 1999, uh, this was posted on their message board on their website. Dear Ephesus is the best ska band ever besides Supertones. (laughs) But then on March 26th, 1999, someone posted, This is Travis from Dear Ephesus, and I would like to apologize to everyone who set up or was planning on coming to shows in Tennessee and Georgia this weekend. We were really excited about it. I speak for Jeff, Dave, and Aaron when I say we will make it up to you. Believe me, we will. Please send any and all questions, comments, prayers, and or requests to me at an AOL address. Once again, I am very sorry. God bless. And then in April of 1999, Deep Elm posted on their website that the tour was canceled. The tour with Papadome was canceled and that Dear Ephesus had broken up. I tried to find that update on the Wayback Machine, but I couldn't, but it's referenced on their message board. And also around that same time, it seems that Ed, one of the guitarists, wrote something on the Dear Ephesus website, really taking it to Marty Bush with Grey Dot and Bulletproof. Um, but sadly, the Wayback Machine also did not save that for us. Unless, Jay, you found anything? I didn't, and I looked hard, Clifton. I know. I don't Me too. think it's there. All right. But what it did save uh, for us is Marty's very public response on the website message board, which I will read in its entirety to you now. (laughs) To Ed, I generally don't do things like this, but like what I'm about to do. I like to keep things a little more professional, but due to future Pastor Ed's comments on the Dear Ephesus website news column, I have decided to respond in public to let Dear Ephesus fans know the entire truth. First of all, Ed, thanks for being such a great Christian and contacting us direct if you have a problem with something we're doing here at Bulletproof. Secondly, if you would repay the $2,000 loan we gave you in 1998 to fix your van transmission and pay the $8,000 plus in production purchases that you've recently received from us, then we could pay you for your publishing money. You say you've only made $200 since being in your offices? What did you do with the money that was made from the sale of thousands of CDs and t-shirts that you bought from us and never paid for? You state that you wrote, you recorded and toured. Well, who do you think put the money up for those recording sessions? Who do you think paid the tens of thousands of dollars it took to get you on the road as a new and unheard of band? It was the, that little thing that you call Bulletproof Records. It's funny. You can complain about touring, yet you switched booking agents three times in less than a year. Get a clue. It's not the booking agents. It's your unprofessional amateur attitude and, you, and your desire to be a rock star overnight combined with work ethic. Sure. Dear Ephesus was, is a great live band. Sure, Dear Ephesus wrote, writes great music, but it takes much more than that. Bulletproof music is far from recouping the money that is spent on this band while you were part of it. Here we, here we know with anything worth doing, there is going to be some initial investment, time, and money. I think it's sad that members give up just when the, the hard work is in being, beginning to pay off. 
Ed also wrote, we wrote, recorded, we toured. What happened to all that to what the contract said about them? Could you be a little more precise, Ed? Good luck with your pursuit of pastoring. <laughs> May you soon be as big as Jimmy Swaggart. Sincerely, Marty Bush, Bulletproof Records. P.S. I know that I know what I've written may upset some people. I, all I can say is always make sure that you tell the whole story if you want to air some dirty laundry. And secondly, if anyone, including Ed, would like to discuss this further, please feel free to email me at martyb at gray.com. Ooh. Yeah. That didn't go over well, surprisingly, on the message board. <laughs> Um, a lot of people wrote comments back. I'm not going to read them. But about a week later, Marty left another comment that said, I really don't care to continue this nonsense of responding to misinformed posts concerning Bulletproof and Ed. I privately responded to Mr. Anonymous, because that's what Ed posted under, spewing and and what would be and, and would be happy to share this response with anyone personally that writes me and requests a copy. I do apologize for making the comments towards Ed in an open forum where they are completely inappropriate, even though it was in direct response to his accusations in this same forum. However, I do greatly appreciate the opportunity to clear up any rumors or concerns that anyone might have regarding Bulletproof Music in a direct approach. Thank you, Marty Bush. Okay, so it didn't so, end well with the label. Yeah. And I do find it interesting that at this same time, they were obviously kind of flirting with Deep Elm, right? Right. And, you know, because it was Deep Elm who put on their website that, the, that announced that the band had broken up, not Bulletproof. And, and it was Deep Elm that got them the, the dates at, at, on Warp Tour, not, once again, not Bulletproof. So Dear Ephesus was broken up, and I'm sure there are people that know what happened exactly, but I don't. It does seem like Ed got upset. Uh, Ed was one of the guitarists. In the bootleg video, there are some points where the guys are obviously very dis, uh, dissatisfied by the Christian music industry. There's a part where they're in a Taco Bell and they're eating and uh, they are kind of, uh, you, you know, talking about their dissatisfaction with the way things are run and um, how they would like to get out of it if they can. Um, and they have some, you know, not great things to say about Marty Bush. They don't say anything explicit. They're just kind of like, why are we filming this? Oh, Marty wants us to kind of thing, you know? <laughs> um, they say that a lot, actually. Why are we filming this? Marty told us to. He wants to sell it or something. So that's what we know. In the end, guitarist uh, Brett Levinson and bassist Lou De Sad, you say it again? DeFabricio, I think. All right. Bassist Lou DeFabricio. Duh. You can say it. Okay. <laughs> DeFabricio. <laughs> Fabricio. They formed Tenderfoot. Uh, which carried on Dear Ephesus' contract with uh, Grey Dot slash Bulletproof, uh, putting out one album in 2000 called The Devil and Rock and Roll. In 2004, there was an HM article that Jay found discussing that the band might get back together and record something or do some live shows, but it doesn't seem like anything ever came of that. So individually, Aaron, it looks like he very quickly went back into the movie business. In 2006, he released his directorial debut film, The Sensation of Sight. He wrote and directed a, a movie in 2013 called Only Daughter, and he has two projects per, currently in post-production, according to IMDb, for which he is an executive producer called Sight and The Way of the Wind. Brett and Ed went on to play in a band called The Vanity Project. Ed also played in um, something called The Sweet Kisses and has some songs posted on SoundCloud as of six years ago and mentioned that he has done work on video game soundtracks. Lou um, has a moving company in New York City. 
And he also does, as Jay mentioned, Gasoline Hearts with um, Jeff and John from Squad 5 And also, Jeff, the drummer from, from Dear Ephesus, played in it at one point. He's not in it anymore. That band looked like it was mostly active around 2009, 2011. But they've become active again, it looks like, uh, in, in 2020. And then Jeff, he has a LinkedIn page that says that he's now in the music industry in Nashville. And that's about all I can find on any of them. I saw that he, that's a drummer, right? Yes. I saw that he played with the Peter Furler band, like of the Newsboys. At some oh, point. interesting. So I think he's been doing like professional music for quite a while, I guess. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's all I know. Awesome. Clifton, do you have an award for this album? I do. It's a it's it's a soggy award called the I Cried Award, um, <laughs> where you get it and you just you feel like shit and you cry. <laughs> and All right, it. that's that's fitting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Clifton, what are we listening to next time? I really want to do the Huntingtons. I, I was listening to them the other day, and I just, let's do it. We've been putting it off. We should do it. Let's do Sweet 16, their first album. Perfect. Looking forward to cool. it. Cool. Is Jackie as an atheist? Is it, is it on that one? No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that's on high, is that on High School Rock, maybe? Or one of the ones after no, that? No, it's, it's either on Fun and Games, or, 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 or it's on one of the first two albums. It must be Fun and Games. I don't think it's on that one. Because okay. I listened to that one a lot okay oh well thank you for joining us for another episode of your music saved us if you enjoyed your time with us please leave us a review or share this episode Visit our website, yourmusicsavedus.com, to find out all the ways to listen. We're on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Join our Facebook group or follow us to keep up with the latest or interact with us. And send complaints and disagreements to yourmusicsavedus at gmail.com. The music in this episode is the work of Dear Ephesus and is used with apologies, not permission. Bandcam.com has their entire catalog, so go look at it. It's on all the streaming services as well. But you can buy it from Bandcamp, and it's not just the albums. They have some unreleased tracks on there and some live performances. So have fun. Go get it. Great. Bye. Bye, everybody. Hey, um, Clifton, what are we going to listen to next time? It'll be a surprise. Oh. I don't know. What do you want to listen to? Oh, I thought you said you want to do the Huntingtons. I do want to do the Huntingtons. Do we doing that next time or are we waiting? Yes, let's do, what's <laughs> the, is, the, is Sweet 16 the first one? Uh-huh. Yeah, let's do Sweet 16. Okay, I'm going to ask you again.
Okay. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fun. It, it. I don't know. There's like a million songs on that album. They almost all sound the same, but it'll be. <laughs> it'll yeah, be. it may be an interesting album to review. Uh-huh. It may be a very short episode. Yeah, and uh, it'll be it'll be fun times. And so anyway, um, I think actually some of their best songs are on that. Not not all of them, but so they have some actually yeah. pretty good ones that they still play live and stuff. So. The, what I was actually listening to of the Huntington's was that first Tooth and Nail live album. Oh, nice. That was published bef- between, you know, but it was published between um, Fun and Games and, and Rock and Roll High School or High School Rock, whatever it's called, I forget. But, the, know. like, Ramones one or just them live? No, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Okay. okay. Live one, yeah. Did it hold up? Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that, too. Um. Yeah, it's Get Lost that I'm looking at Spotify that has Annie's anorexic and no pool party. Okay. Um, oh, we should do a count. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Before I turn. All right, you ready? Thing. Yep. <laughs> 